that to me is another picture, another way of looking at biblical faith. You have two options. You can be one of those two. Faith, building your house on the rock, it's actually put, it's, it's basing your life on the character of God as revealed in the word and personal revelation that he's spoken to you about your life. So that's stuff that's, it's not in the Bible, it's not for everybody, it's what he's spoken to you particularly about your life. Faith, building on the rock, is actually basing your life on those two things. The character of God as revealed in his word, and then the personal revelation he's given to you about your life. Foolish, building on sand, is intellectual assent to those things without actually basing your life on them. Feeling those things without basing your life on them. Wavering in that. So that's what, as you're thinking about your life, I know we've hit this same topic three or four times. It's a huge piece of what it means. It's foundational to what it means to be a Christian. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we want to understand fully what faith is and begin to look at the different areas of our life and say, am I trusting God with my finances? God, what does that look like for me to do? What does it look like for me to trust you with my family? What does it look like for me to trust you with my future? What does it look like for me to trust you with my job, my school? What does it look like for me to trust you with my health? What does it look like for me to trust you with my relationships? And all of those things, what you want to be asking is, am I building on the rock in these different areas of my life? If you're not, then just hear that as, an opportunity for you to begin to do that. If you're not, that's the result. It all, it's all going to wash away. It's, it's gone. There's no other solid foundation upon which to build. Why Don't build your life on anything other than the character of God as revealed in the Word and the things that He's specifically spoken to you about your life. That character of God is foundational. The things He's spoken to you is on top of that. Don't. It, everything else is all going to wash so my encouragement to you as we go through this morning is have that in the back of your mind. Am I, am I building on the rock or am I standing on the chair? Whatever picture you want to have in every area of my life. In the places where you're not, because for all of us are places that we're not, hear the invitation of God to begin to live in faith in those areas. We're going to look at chapter 17. This is Abraham again. Have in your mind that idea of faith. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, excuse me, walk before me faithfully and be blameless, then I'll make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations, no longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful, I will make nations of you and kings will come from you, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You're to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people, He's broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarah, you're, 
her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will sincere and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her that she will, so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you'll call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he'd finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both, were both circumcised on that very day, and every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought with a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Great thing to talk about with the kids in the room, huh? I warned Penny. So here's the timeline. Abraham's 75 years old, and he gets this initial promise from God in chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Then in chapter 15, sometime after that, this, this, this covenant with Abraham is, is uh, formalized. And then chapter 17 happens 24 years later. He's 99. The covenant is confirmed. So it's one covenant all the way through. God's got this one thing that he's working with Abraham. It begins as an initial promise. I'm going to, give, I'm going to make a name for you. That's, that's his influence. I'm going to bless you. That's wealth. I'm going to give you this land. You're going to have a, there's going to be a nation that comes from you. That's descendants. And, then, and God also promises to work through Abraham. You're going to be a blessing. Those who bless you will be blessed and curse you will be cursed. And all nations on earth will be blessed through you. At some point prior in, the, in those first ten years, we looked at chapter 15 where Abraham has begun to see progress with wealth. He's gotten some of that. He's begun to see progress with influence. His name is expanding. He's, he's defeated these kings. Everybody knows who he is. Not seeing any progress with land. And not seeing any progress with children. And so God appears in chapter 15 and takes him outside and says, Here are all the stars. As many as are there. That's how many kids you're going to have. And it's going to come through you. Your, your servant will not be your heir. You're going to have a son. Your own flesh and blood. Confirming that. For Abraham, and then that there's that story, that that picture. Abraham has this falls into a deep sleep, and there's this dream vision thing, where Abraham's taking these animals and he's cut them in half. He does that, and then he falls into this deep sleep, and God walks through the two pieces of these animals, saying, "This is this is I'm making a covenant with you. You can count on me to do what I said. It's going to be 400 years before your descendants take the land." Remember, he kind of walked through, here's the future for your family. Here's what's going to happen to them. It's going to be 400 years, but they're going to get this dirt. I'm going to give it to them. And then last week we looked at the story of Hagar and how Sarah particularly was motivated by doubt. And so she brings Hagar, her, her chief servant, into the mix. And Ishmael is born to her. And then in chapter 17, 20, it's 24, year, 24 years after the initial promise, what is it, 11 or 12 years after, after Ishmael's born, then God appears to Abraham again to 
to confirm, hey, just to make sure. I know you haven't seen any progress when it comes to descendants. I'm going to do this. And it's more detailed than Abraham's got. And if you notice, the covenant's not just with Abraham anymore. It's everlasting with all of his descendants. Nations and kings are going to come from you. I'm going to change your name. That's how serious I am about this. You're going to go from Abram, exalted father, probably referring to God, to Abraham, father of many. We're going to change Sarah's name. She's going from Sarai, princess, to Sarah, mother of many. This is going to happen. And then confirms to the land. I'm going to give this land to your descendants. It's an everlasting possession for them. And then there's a couple of first time we've seen Abraham's responsibility. Up to this point, God has never, he hadn't asked anything of Abraham. Abraham's obeyed in faith, but officially in this covenant, in their covenant relationship, God's never said, hey, here's what I need from you. And we see that here. I want you to walk before me. I want you to be blameless. You can see that. I want you to have integrity. And I want you to live your life checking with me. That's kind of what those, that, those phrases mean. And then the sign of the covenant, circumcision. That's how everybody's going to know that, that you're mine and that your descendants are mine. And that's, that's the sign of this thing moving forward. It's all the same covenant. It's just being expanded upon. So a couple of things I want to point out here before we spend some time listening to the Lord. Circumcision, Old Testament, parallels baptism in the New. They're parallels, they're outward signs of an inward reality. They're signs of the covenant, if you like. Um, children bat- were circumcised at eight days old. That's obviously not a conscious decision when you're eight days old. I don't know anybody consciously who would say, yes, sign me up for that. So you've got to do it when they're young. We know from the Old Testament, not everyone who was circumcised stuck. Some of them fell away. It's not a guarantee. It's a sign of the covenant. It's not the covenant itself. It's not the reality. It's just a sign that, hey, you're in this group. But you can, you can, you can walk away from it. And you see that in the Old Testament. People who were circumcised, who were from the family of Abraham, who through their continued rebellion are cut off from God. And the same thing is true for us with baptism. It's a, it's a sign. It's not the reality. You may, on some level, think this. You may know people. If you talk to them about Ask them if, if you're a Christian, and they'll tell you, yes, I was baptized. That's not, no, not necessarily. That's like, if you, are you a Jew? Yeah, I was, I was circumcised. Not necessarily. That's a sign of the covenant, but are you living in the relational reality? And the same thing is true for us with baptism. Two things off of that. This is one thing that sometimes we, particularly in the Bible Belt, uh, mistake. Your relationship with God is personal but it's never private, and those aren't the same thing. Personal and private aren't the same thing. You have a personal relationship with God. It involves you individually, but it's not private. It's not something that stays out of um, the public eye. And baptism is one of the ways that you bring something that's personal out here for other people to see. Last week at the 11 o'clock service, we baptized a couple of um, elementary school kids, and that was a public declaration for them of a, of a decision that they made sometime in the past, most likely alone. They made that with their parents in their bedroom. And then here, they're standing before the church saying, this is what's real to me. It also serves as a reminder to us. Sometimes we can kind of waver in our faith and remembering those monuments. We've talked about those before. When, every, when, when Abraham met God, he put a pile of rocks out to say, I met him here. And as we read through Genesis, you'll see there are these piles of rocks throughout the land where people meet 
God, and baptism can be that for us. So my encouragement to you, if you're a Christian and you've never been baptized, you need to. It's a sign of the It doesn't save you. We're not saved by grace through baptism. We're saved by grace through faith. But it is a sign of a commitment that you've made. It's taking something that's personal and you're bringing it out here in public. Again, my encouragement to you is to do that. It's similar if you can think of a, between a man and a woman. It's, it's a wedding ceremony. It's this public commitment of a personal relationship there. And so that's, that would be my encouragement to you. If you've never done that, please come speak to me. And we'll see if we can set up a time where you can be baptized. This was the most interesting part of all of this to me. Abraham fell face down and laughed. Yep. Interesting. Face down, position of reverence and awe. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, somebody meets God, that's the response. You're holy, I'm not. I'm getting as low as I can. Interesting to kind of juxtapose that type of reverence and awe with laughing. I don't know if you've ever laughed in the presence of God before. I don't know when God just made a pretty direct promise to Abraham. Here's all of the things that I'm going to do. And Abraham's response is to laugh. Now, I don't think it was a, I don't know that it was from a place of doubt. We'll see that with Sarah next week. She laughs when she hears God talking about something he's going to do. And God actually calls her on it. He doesn't call Abraham on this. I don't know if it's from a place of relief like, Finally, after 24 years, this thing is moving towards completion. I don't know if it, I think it's probably more, how do I, like holy disbelief. I don't think he doubts, but it's one of those things like this is, this is something I've been waiting for for so long. It's, there's been no evidence that you're going to do this. I've, I'm kind of holding on to hope and faith that it's going to happen, and now you're telling me it's going to. And the response, again, is just this, laughter in Abraham, and what it made me think about for us is, is there an emotional aspect to your relationship with God? Obviously, your relationship with God is much deeper than your emotions, but you, all of us, have some level of emotional life, and are you comfortable enough with God to bring that before him? So one of the things about Abraham, the first thing I think about him is faith, and the second thing I think about is how comfortable he is in his relationship with God. There's this deep security that he has. And you'll see that next week when we talk about him bargaining with God over a city. Just going back and forth with him over um, what God has determined to do. And Abraham saying, are you sure? What about this? It shows this deep comfort level. This deep security with God. And we all can have that as well. I don't know how many of us actually do. And one element of that is, your, is emotions. Do you bring your emotions before the Lord, before him in worship or prayer, whatever that relational component is for you, are, are your emotions a part of that? Now, I'm saying that as someone who no one has ever described me as emotional. I, I have two or three feelings, and that's it. So I'm not, I'm not an emotional communicator. Y'all know all of those things about me. So I'm not saying this as like the most passionate guy in the world. But there's a reality that says... Even if it's only a part of who I am, there are, uh, there are emotions in me. And those things somehow need to impact or be expressed in my relationship with God. We've talked about psalm book, psalms before. It's a very emotional book. It's the prayer book for the Jews. And you can see why. It expresses the range of human experiences 
and emotions. For many of us, we're just not comfortable expressing those things to God for whatever reason. It either feels, uh, it feels silly, superficial, flippant, and we think God's not interested in those things, or, and I think this is probably more likely, we see him as distant from us and not fully engaged with that part of who we are. There's this book, it's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, you've never read it, um, by this uh, Peter Scazzaro is his name. The, 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 the thesis behind it is pretty interesting. He says your emotional immaturity will trump your spiritual maturity in a crisis. So in a crisis, emotional immaturity trumps spiritual maturity. So what he's doing in the book is he's saying, let's figure out how to be emotionally mature. And so then that marries with your spiritual maturity. And so when you're in a crisis then that spiritual maturity can win. And just experientially, I've seen this to be the case in people who I meet with over time. I've seen it to be the case actually in entire churches that we would say, wow, that's a deep church. And a crisis happens and the emotional immaturity of the leaders wins the day. My encouragement to you, if this is an area where you don't, you don't connect emotionally with God, you don't, you don't laugh in his presence, You don't cry in his presence. You don't express frustration or joy. With God, you're a bit more robotic in your interactions with him. Maybe in worship, you don't feel a lot. Worship's not about feeling, but you never engage emotionally in worship or in prayer. I'm not calling you emotionally immature. I'm saying that there's a part of who you are, a key part of who you are, that for whatever reason is divorced from your relationship with God, and that's no good. Anything he doesn't have access to, he can't redeem. And so we've got to figure out, how do I open that emotional part of me? And again, coming from a non-emotional person, I'm saying this. How do I open that emotional part of me up to the Lord? So at the same time, I can express face-down reverence and awe, and I can laugh. How can I do both of those things in his presence? For me to have the security in who I am as a son of God, that I can express the range of the feelings that I have, even as I remember and keep in mind uh, who he is to me as my father. So that's just something that you may want to think about if that hits you. You have this blessing of Ishmael. Ishmael's Abraham's son, and he's worried. Well, you're going to go through Sarah. What's going to happen to him? And, And God says, I'm picking Isaac. He goes ahead and names Isaac before Isaac's even conceived. I'm picking Isaac. Ishmael's going to be fine. I'm going to bless him as well. I don't know how that sits for you, that God picks one and not uh, not another. The theological word for that is election. God elected. God chose Isaac. And as we get into Genesis more and more, you'll see he keeps doing that. He picks Jacob instead of Esau. He makes choices and says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless your descendants, but it's only this particular family line that I'm going to bless. And for some of us, that rubs us the wrong way because it doesn't feel fair. Like, what did Ishmael ever do? How come he's getting neglected. What you need to hear is that election, this choosing of God, allows salvation, we'll just call it that, salvation to be rooted in grace. If what God says is, I'm going to let, Abra- I'm going to let Isaac and Ishmael live for 21 years, and we're going to see where they are at 21, and then whichever one's doing better, that's the one I'm going to pick, then salvation is based on the performance of Isaac or Ishmael, which on one hand we say, well, that's fair. On the other hand, I would say that's incredibly shaky ground. What if they run off the rails at 25? And God's already said, this is the, then what happens? 
It makes the basis for our salvation extraordinarily, it's sand. makes it very shaky if, if salvation is based on our track record, our performance, our behavior. So what God does is he takes that out of the equation and says in Ephesians 1, hey, listen, I've chosen you before the foundation of the world. In love, I predestine you to be my son or my daughter. I've already done that. It's based on his, that allows our salvation to be based on his grace. We've said last week, faith is the straw. That's what gets grace as water into us. So we have a part to play in that. But foundationally, election says God, God's electing, God's choosing of Isaac, God's choosing of Jacob says salvation's based on grace. It's that they haven't done anything. I'm picking Isaac before he's been conceived. In Romans 9, I'm picking Jacob while he's still in the womb. They haven't done anything to deserve or merit this. And on one hand, we can say, ah, that doesn't seem fair. What I would say, again, Ephesians 1 says, in love, God has done this. Look at it on the other side and say, oh, there's security there for me. My behavior is not the determining factor in my salvation. God's grace is. Because he picked me. He chose me before the foundation of the world. Before my great, 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 great grandparents were even a a twinkling in the eye of their parents. God chose me, and he chose you before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined you to be adopted into his family as sons and daughters. You can That lets you laugh in the presence of God. That security that comes from knowing my relationship is fundamentally based on the fact that he adopted me into his family. He chose me before the creation of the earth to be his son, or to be his daughter. There's security in that for you. You see, Abraham immediately obeys. Not an easy thing to obey, but he does it. He immediately circumcises himself. Who knows how that plays? And then the rest of his household. I'm sure that was a fun conversation to have with all the adults in his household as well. But he does it immediately. What does it say? On that very day, you can't separate Faith and works. James says, faith without works is dead. You can't separate faith, which is our trust in God, from works, which is obedience to God. Those things cannot be separated. Faith demands expression. Trust, confidence, reliance, it's all got to be lived out. Abraham, because he believed God, because he trusted in God, moved from Ur to Canaan. Abraham, because he believed God, trusted in God, relied on God, he let Lot pick which side of the land he wanted. He said no to a wicked king who tried to enrich him. And he circumcises his family. And we'll see later on after he has Isaac. He, he willingly sacrifices up to the point of sacrificing Isaac. All of those things are expressions of faith. So faith is this inner commitment that says, I'm going to build my life on the rock. I'm going to base my life on the character of God as revealed in his word and the, spe- and the specific things he said to me. And those things, the that commitment is evidenced by my actions. If Abraham doesn't move, then he doesn't have faith. If Abraham d- grabs at the land, if Abraham says yes to the king, if Abraham doesn't circumcise his, himself or his family, then he doesn't. Ha- it doesn't matter what he says. He doesn't have faith. There's no evidence of his trust in God. We can't separate those two things. We're not saved by what we do. What we do comes out of this faith that we have this trust in God, which again always demands expression. I want to close with this. Abraham and Sarah get new names. 
Revelation 2.17 says this, To him who overcomes, I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. In the Bible, new names often signify new identity. God's doing something new and different. There's four different people we see who get new names. Abraham and Sarah, we've already looked at them. Jacob, Abraham's grandson. He's, Jacob means he who grasps the heel. He's the second of, of twins who are born, and he comes out grabbing his brother Esau's heel. People took that to mean supplanter, figuratively deceiver. If you read Jacob's story, which we will, that's what he was. He schemed and lied and deceived to get what he wanted. He wrestles with God, and God says, you've got a new name now. It's Israel, him who, who struggles and prevails with God. It's a new name, new identity for Jacob. We see it in the New Testament. Simon, God heard, becomes Peter, rock. We see that's a new identity for Peter. And particularly when you look in the book of Acts, that's who he has become after he's been filled with the Holy Spirit. This is Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake, I, God, will not keep quiet. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all the kings your glory. You'll be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You'll be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you'll be called Hezebah, which means my delight is in her, and your, and your land Beulah, which means married. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. This is what I want us to do. I want us to take a few minutes. There are people in here who need a new name. I'm confident of that, but I don't know what those new names are. And so we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to be quiet. And this is the exercise I want to walk you through. Um, if you're a guest, I hope this is not uh, unsettling to you at all. What we're going to do is we're just going to be quiet, and I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to us. And one of the things we believe at Stonebridge is God speaks to the body through the body. And what I want, what we're going to ask is for God to share some of those new names with us that may not mean anything for you personally, but it may be very powerful for somebody else who's sitting in the room. Two or three or four things I'm thinking. We'll see kind of where it goes. And then we'll, Bo will come back up and lead us in ministry time. And if one of those new names kind of hits you is, yeah, I, I need that. Then we want you to come forward and we'll pray with you that God would speak that thing not just over you but into your heart and you would begin to live into that new identity. Now we can see from Abraham and Sarah, we can see from Jacob, we can see from Peter, there's a, little, there's a transition point there where you're walking into your new identity. So it may not be a, a night and day flipping of a switch. But what we want to trust is that God says, I want to give you a new name. And we want to we want to live under that reality today. So here's how you'll know if God's speaking to you for somebody else. Something will most like you won't hear an audible voice. I'll be the only audible voice that you hear, and I'm not God, much to my chagrin. So what you'll hear, you won't hear anything this way. There'll be a thought that comes into your head, and it'll be one or two words probably, max, maybe three or four. Most likely it'll be one word or two words. And then you may get butterflies in your stomach. You'll be like, oh, gosh, i got to say this out loud. Then that means you need to say it out loud. So look for both of those things. The thought in your mind and then kind of the feeling that says, this, is for, this needs to be shared. This isn't just 
a thought that I had. There's something more than that. And if you're the kind of person who says, that doesn't happen for me. God never speaks to me. That doesn't happen. Then I would say you're the perfect person for God to speak to because you're not trying to get anybody to look at you. You're not looking for a spotlight. Don't discount John 10. Good shepherd, my sheep know my voice. If you're a Christian, then you're one of his sheep and you can hear his voice. He's always speaking to us. The issue is whether or not we're paying attention to him. So I'm going to I'm going to pray and then we're going to take a few minutes and be quiet and then see if anybody has anything to share and if not then we'll just wrap up, okay? Bo, you want to come back? A couple of things. First, God, I thank you for the example of Abraham to us. He's he's real. He's not airbrushed. We see the places where he stumbles. We looked last week the places where he is passive and lazy. And we see the places where he just expresses this deep commitment and trust in you. And so, God, for the men and women and the boys and girls in this room, I pray we truly would be children of Abraham. God, that we would be his spiritual descendants, that we would be men and women and boys and girls of faith. God, if there are places in our lives where we're not building on the rock, I pray that you'd bring conviction to us even now. If there are places where we're not living out our faith in you, our trust in you, bring conviction and show us what that looks like to do so. This idea of a new name, I don't really know where this goes other than you said that you're going to give us new names and there are people here who are living and laboring under an old identity. Lies from the enemy that have been stuck to them and are so deeply embedded in the way they process reality that they don't recognize it's a lie. For them, it's just the way things are. And God, we're asking you in these next few minutes to speak truth to those who are being oppressed. So Lord, I pray that you would whisper truth into the hearts and minds of the men and women and the boys and girls in this room. And I pray they in turn... What'd you say? That's good. that louder.
one to me is that one we just read, Hezbollah, God's delight is in you. And particularly, I feel like there's a couple of women. That word is, that word is, uh, name is my delight is in her. I think there may be a couple of women who need to hear that. So God, I thank you for truth spoken. And God, I pray that there be truth embedded in our hearts. And you would show the men and the women and the boys and girls in this room, what does it look like to live out of our new name? In the Bible, a name speaks to the character of the person. What does it look like for that to be true of us? To live approved and victorious. So apply those labels as they need. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand. Here's what we want you to do. If any of those labels kind of hit you as, man, I need that new name, we want you to come forward. We'll have ministry teams up in the front. We'll pray with you about anything that you have going on. Particularly would love to pray with you about any of those new names that you may need to be given. So you guys can stand, and Bo will dismiss us after this song.